homage to the Buddha, the Dhamma and the Sangha. Today we'll be resuming our look at the Sekapatipada Sutta, our study of the trainee's mode of progress. And uh, for this session, we'll be looking at energetic or in Pali, it's Arada video. So if you remember, Sekapatipada Sutta is in the middle length discourses, so Majjhima Nikaya and it's discourse number 53. It's probably good to do a quick recap of where we've got to with the Sekapatipada Sutta. So this was where the Buddha had invited Venerable Ananda to give a teaching to the Sakyans, who were lay people. And he was going through the Arahant's conduct and knowledge. And so he was going through 15 types of conduct or qualities and three knowledges. And where we focused on was initially, uh, we've been going through these 15 types of uh, conduct. And so the Sutta actually says, when a noble disciple is consumer in virtue, guards the doors to the sense faculties, eats in moderation, and is dedicated to wakefulness, they have seven good qualities and they get the four jhanas, which are the blissful meditations in the present life that belong to the higher mind, when they want, without trouble or difficulty, then one is called a disciple of the noble ones who follows the trainee's mode of progress. So we began by looking at consummate in virtue. Then we looked at guarding doors to the sense faculties. Then after that, we looked at moderation in eating and then wakefulness. And then we began to look at the seven good qualities. So the seven good qualities are conviction, moral shame, fear of wrongdoing, very learned, energetic, mindfulness and wisdom. So, so far we've only covered uh, convictional faith, uh, moral shame, fear of wrongdoing, and very learned. So very learned was the uh, Bahusita, was the last one that we covered. So today we're going to look at energetic, which is this Arada video. So what we'll do in this session is we'll start with the word Arada video. We'll look at the uh, translation into English and see whether it helps with the meaning of this word. Then we'll go straight into Venerable Ananda's explanation and how to develop this quality in terms of the Sekapatipada Sutta. Then we'll use the Nagaropama Sutta because as we know, uh, Arata Virya is one of the seven good qualities and the Nagaropama Sutta is another way that the Buddha explained these seven good qualities. So we're going to look there to see whether there's any further guidance or anything to help us with our understanding of this quality. Then we'll deep dive into how to actually develop this quality, particularly the importance of the four kinds of striving around developing wholesome and abandoning unwholesome, and really to try and draw out any ways of practicing this and uh, what to actually uh, put into practice. Now, the Buddha did nominate uh, a monk disciple as being the foremost at this accomplishment of Arata Viryo, and this was Venerable Sonakolivissa. And so we'll look into him because his background is quite interesting, as well as he received a specific teaching from the Buddha. And that will also help us in terms of our you know, mode of progress, in terms of developing this quality. And along the way, we'll review some of the additional suttas uh, this will help us to support our understanding of the quality and also to clarify where we might need a little bit more. And there are a number of suttas, in fact there are many, many suttas that refer to this particular quality of Arada video. And then lastly, we'll link 
um, how Ara, the video, is connected with the other qualities. So we'll have a brief look at that. Let's begin by looking at what is Ara, the video. When we look at the Pali translation, it translates to energetic, strenuous, energy aroused, um, resolute or determined. A firm undertaking is also something that comes up, persistence, vigorous, lively, active, uh, zealous, strong, high-powered or dynamic. Now all of these words give you this impression uh, with this particular quality that there's activeness rather than passive. So we don't observe and just sit back. Uh, this quality gives this impression and when we go through the suttas we'll also see it's more than an impression that there's an activeness to uh, what needs to be done. There's an energy that's needed. There's a resolution as well that's needed and one needs to persist in um, the resolution towards wholesome versus unwholesome. So all of these words actually do apply and I think the best way to look at it is also to pick the one that really um, triggers for you. So in some cases for some people it, it's energetic and strenuous and resolute and also active. In fact it's like one of these words where uh, no one word in English actually applies uh, and when you start to look at some of the teachings of Venerable Ananda and the Buddha then you realize actually all of them can really apply. So keep an open mind when it comes to this word. Now, as you know from our past sessions, it's good to also look at the opposite of Ara, the video. So in this case, we can look at uh, Hina Virya, so that's lacking in energy, and also Kusita, which is more like laziness. So when you look at the opposite, the words that come out, particularly from Kusita, is indolent or lazy, inert, inactive, devoid of zeal, lacking energy, unmindful, dull, slack, uh, apathetic, dispirited, uh, sluggish or slow, impotent and idle. So clearly you can see the opposite of Ara the video is, is something that is quite slothful, very dull, quite slack, um, not rousing any energy. And so this is another way of understanding the quality of Ara the video. When you go into the suttas, you find Kusita, which is this laziness or in indolence, um, used as almost like the antonym for Ara the video. And so when you look at it that way, you can see one is energized and one is an active and one isn't. One lacks energy and is quite inactive. So I guess you get the idea from looking at it both ways. Now there are so many suttas talking about our other video, which is a good thing. It's a really good thing because what it does is it tells us that it is a very, very important quality and it actually knocks out of the park um, any views or opinions by the end of this session, if we have them, about passively approaching the Noble Eightfold Path. And really as well you, you see the culmination when you develop this quality you really start to develop and fully understand right effort so that's a really good thing and as well as that other qualities like the spiritual faculty of energy as well as the power of energy as well as the enlightenment factor of energy as well so this particular quality is very very important that's what uh, should be taken away as uh, something from this session. So 
what's on the next few slides is really a summary of some of these things. And like some of these other good qualities that we looked at, uh, this energy or this energetic or this activeness, it helps one to cross the flood that is hard to cross. It's the groundwork for the ending of defilements. It's part of the qualities that make one considered a good person. And it also determines a good rebirth. And for someone who's a good person, if you cultivate this quality, then you remain healthy and whole. And so you don't deserve to be blamed or criticized by, by other people. And also it's a, it's a quality that enables you to dwell happily in this life and being free of distress, uh, anguish and fever. And again, it, it repeats that you end up in a good destination if you cultivate this quality along with other good qualities. It's one of the five qualities that ensures that you don't fall away, that you establish yourself in the good Dhamma. It's also one of the five qualities that assists striving. And it's one of the five qualities that makes one dear and beloved to Kalinamitta, like you're respected and admired. And along with some other qualities, uh, if you're a trainee, it makes you um, self-assured and mature. And then when it comes to establishing oneself, um, it leads to perfection. And then along with other qualities, the suttas say that one can expect growth, not decline. And at the same time, as part of these qualities, uh, one can soon realize the supreme culmination of the spiritual path in this very life. And also it says that it's one of the eight conditions that leads to the arising of wisdom, its growth and perfection. And it also makes you uh, worthy of offerings. So it's one of the eight qualities that makes you worthy of offerings. And one of the things is that it's vitally important. So it's a vital condition for the development of the awakening factors. So these are the bhujangas. And at the same time, it says that in the suttas that it's one of the ten qualities that serves as a protector. And just to uh, say a few more, um, it's one of the ten qualities uh, to judge a dispute. And it's also one of the five things to reflect upon in oneself before admonishing someone else. And uh, it's also one of the ten warm-hearted qualities that make for fondness and respect, conducing to inclusion, harmony and unity without quarrelling. Sounds very good. And then it's also one of the ten grounds for praise. And finally, I think this is very similar to another one that we, we looked at, which is it's one of the ten qualities that keeps an astute person healthy and well, and they don't deserve to be criticised. Let's now look at the Seka Paribhada Sutta and what Venerable Ananda is talking about. As we know, we are now at the fifth good quality that he is explaining, which is Arata Viryu, energetic. What Venerable Ananda explains is this Arata Viryu Viharati, Akusalanang Damanang Pahanaya, Kusalanang Damanang Upasampadaya. One dwells energetic in abandoning unskillful qualities and taking on skillful qualities. Then he goes on to say tamava, which is one has strength, in other words, you're steadfast. Dala parakamo, you're firm in your effort. Anakita duro kusalesu damesu, does not put down one's responsibilities with regard to skillful qualities. So when we look at this 
explanation by Venerable Ananda. And we'll also go into the various other suttas that help us to understand it. But in this first instance, you can clearly see that one has a resolve around arousing energy, that there's an active nature to this, one is strenuous. And you need to make the right effort. And right effort that ties in with this is very much that you abandon the unwholesome or you don't allow it to arise. That means also unskillful. But at the same time, you cultivate the, the, the kusala, the skillful, the wholesome, the good. And you also find from these words, you know, firm in one's effort, that aradavirya, this quality, is evidently about strength, fortitude, like certainty around what you resolve to do around akusala and kusala. And so you don't shirk from that responsibility. You don't cop out. You don't uh, sort of allow yourself to, to bear with unwholesome things. You, you actually put this very clear. You need to abandon them. And so you don't shirk away from that responsibility and leave it. And likewise, when it comes to cultivating good, you also have the same determination and energy towards doing those meditations, doing uh, the medicine, like giving the medicine for the things such as defilements and hindrances. You don't just leave it. So that's very a very active part to one's Dhamma practice. Then the other thing to say around it is really about the value of making the strong determination towards energizing, to applying the Buddha's teaching. And so this is the area that we normally cave in, that when it comes to when defilements arise or we're imbued with hindrances, what normally happens is we, we allow it to, to be there. And this is the thing that really where the Buddha says you don't uh, shirk away from your responsibility, you're firm in your effort and you, you use strength and fortitude in order to, to really do so. And so... This is something that I think when you explore this accomplishment, so you know, this is Venerable Ananda expounding what these, the accomplishment that Arahants have, the adepts have. When it comes to trainee, I think there's a lot of honesty that needs to come in to say, am I allowing defilements to be there? Do I simply observe them, but not actually eradicate them, not apply Buddha's medicine? And if that's the case, then you know that you're not applying enough energy. And so Sekas, I think it's important to heed Venbu Ananda's words, particularly about the way that we approach right effort. And to investigate references to, to strength, fortitude, firming one's resolve, and, and not shirking the path that Buddha has said uh, that we should walk, which is the Noble Eightfold Path, to see, are we really applying Buddha's medicine? Are we really adhering and be willing to be instructed in terms of, of this because I think energy, what we'll find is that it is very, very important and it's applicable to the whole path that we're walking in terms of the Buddha's teaching. Now we've been looking at the Nagaropama Sutta in looking at these seven good qualities, which is part of what Venerable Ananda is talking about in terms of these accomplishments. And then Nagaropama Sutta, as we found from looking at the other qualities we've examined so far, it's so very helpful in helping us to better understand because in this case, the Buddha offers a number of different, uh, well, he offers up the simile of the citadel or the simile of the fortress as a way of helping us to understand these good qualities. 
And so as we know, we've looked at the pillar as being uh, representative of conviction, sadda. We've looked at the moat in terms of um, being the sense of shame, moral shame. We've looked at the patrol path in terms of seeing that as the fear of wrongdoing. We've also looked at the stores of many weapons as being bahusata, uh, which is really being learned and, and having the, the knowledge base and, and the practice to support. So when we look at Ara, the video, we now find that the Buddha talks about it in terms of the army, the army that's stationed within the citadel or fortress. And so this is something that when we look at the words that Buddha uses, it's very helpful in how we can also, again, add to what the Sekhapatipada Sutta has explained. The Buddha says in the Nagaropama Sutta, so this is Anguttarnikaya chapter 7, discourse number 67, just as the Royal Frontier Fortress has a large army stationed within, elephant soldiers, cavalry, charioteers, bowmen, standard bearers, billeting officers, soldiers of the supply corps, noted princes, commando heroes, infantry as slaves, for the protection of those within and to ward off those without. In the same way, a disciple of the noble ones dwells energetic in abandoning unskillful qualities and taking on skillful qualities is strong, firm in one's effort, not putting down one's duties with regard to skillful qualities. So that last part is the same as Sekhapatipada Sutta. With persistence as one's army, the disciple of the noble ones abandons what is unskillful, develops what is skillful, abandons what is blameworthy, develops what is blameless, and looks after oneself with purity. They possess this fifth good quality. So when we look at this, it's very similar to the Sekhapadipada Sutta. But the thing that uh, is really useful are a few things. It's the use of the Buddha's simile where he talks about the fortress or citadel, but he's talking about a large army stationed within, you know, to protect and to defend against enemies. So these enemies are hindrances, defilements and things that take us off the Noble Eightfold Path. So when you consider the large army that the Buddha describes from the elephant soldiers all the way to the commando heroes and infantry and all that sort of thing, then what you realize is that what comes to mind is that it provides the extra firepower, the extra energy and support that can withstand any kind of attack or persistent attacks from enemies. So what you remember about the quality of a person or a country's army is that the army never backs down. They will continue striving towards conquest. So they get their orders and they're resolute in those orders and they act with a lot of energy until the battle is won. So you see why the Buddha is giving this aspect to the simile that when it comes to the quality of energetic, which means you arouse energy, there's, you're very steadfast in whatever orders you've been given. So Buddha's orders for each of us as Sekas is abandon what is unwholesome, uh, cultivate what is wholesome or skillful and never back down. And so you don't turn away from that task. You don't shirk off and, and allow things to fester because what, what you know is when you are with the unwholesome, the bad, the unskillful, if you allow it to be there, it grows or it repeats itself. And if you don't investigate why it came to be, like the samudaya, the arising of it, then 
You don't. You never nip it in the bud. You never know from wisdom why you are actually abandoning it. And so, with this example that the Buddha gives, it's so powerful when you think about it in that way. That you need to stand very, very strong in what is wholesome, in order to withstand when the enemy attacks. And so, the army that the Buddha talks about, this ara, the video that we are exerting, the energy that we're exerting. We don't turn back from the Buddha's instructions about abandoning unwholesome, not allowing it to arise, and guarding what we have that is good and cultivating more of the good. So there is a struggle there. Like when you think about the army and the battle, there is a struggle that's going on, but you have to battle it until the very end. So this is an aspect of the good qualities that you can see. It's very important to the path, but you also see that. Right effort comes into into be, and you can only then、uh, understand that you get to right mindfulness because you've overcome a lot of the akusala in order to then activate right mindfulness in the noble eightfold path. But in many ways they work together, and we'll look at that a little bit further along. So this nagarupa sutta can be very useful to reinforce the importance of of energy, active energy. Whenever we talk about energy in the Buddha's teachings, we always make reference to right effort, so samavayama, or also to right striving, samapadana. And essentially, in a nutshell, energy and all these different terms are really talking about abandoning what is unwholesome or unskillful, and cultivating and developing what is、uh, wholesome and skillful. So when we talk about samavayama or samapadana, we break them down into four things. So the first one is one generates desire for the abandoning of arisen bad unwholesome states. One makes an effort, arouses energy, applies the mind, and strives. The second is one generates desire for the non-arising of unarisen bad unwholesome states. One makes an effort, arouses energy, applies the mind, and strives. The third is one generates desire for the arising of unarisen wholesome states. One makes an effort, arouses energy, applies the mind, and strives. And the last one is: one generates desire for the persistence of arisen wholesome states for their non-decline, increase, expansion, and fulfillment by development. One makes an effort, arouses energy, applies the mind, and strives. So when you hear all of these, what you also realize as part of this sacred training. Is there's a lot of application of one's mind. One needs to arouse the energy and to strive towards whatever the 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 step is. So when it comes to abandoning, you really make that effort. You really arouse the energy towards it, and you strive. You apply your mind to abandon, and by doing so, you apply the Buddha's medicine. The second, in terms of the non-arising, you really Don't allow the akusala to to enter. So again, you need to make effort. You need to arouse energy towards that, and to guard the mind really in this sense, and to strive towards that goal. The third one, again, is you need to encourage yourself to、uh, cultivate good. So this is like encouraging meditation, encouraging listening to the Buddha's words, encouraging、uh, useful talk around understanding Buddha Dhamma. So you need to actively arouse energy, make effort, apply the mind, and strive. And so the fourth one becomes when you've actually 
in this particular instance, you could talk about path and fruit, or where the mind is pristine and purified after a meditation, that you protect it, that you don't allow it to decline by going back out into things which are unwholesome. And you want this uh, good quality in the mind to persist, to expand, and to actually fulfill to development means to actually realize further path and fruit and eventually realize the goal. And so again, you need an immense amount of energy and effort and resolution towards applying the mind in the correct way and striving, not allow the mind to be hindered. And when you think about the hindrances, quite often when we walk this path, it's very easy to abide in sensual desire, to abide in ill will or anger. It's very easy to allow the mind to go very dull and drowsy and to think that, oh, this is a good place to be resting the mind, even from a Dhamma perspective. But it's actually not because you make very wrong decisions from that point. You also find that the mind is not workable, it's not malleable, it's actually very dull. And so you realize when it's dull, it's actually the hindrance. It's not really uh, an illuminated, active, bright mind. And then also you get the restlessness and worry and also you get the doubt. So those things very much hinder the mind. And that's why energy, application, firmness, strength, fortitude, all the words that the Buddha says, not shirking from your responsibility, firm in your effort. These are the things that are very, very different to when you simply observe and allow the mind to be in, in usually the wrong place. So there are many references that the Buddha gives where he emphasizes the importance of Aradavidyo and energy, energetic, arousing energy. And this is one of them. This is the Sudika Sutta in Sangyutta Nikaya, Chapter 7, Discourse Number 7. The Buddha basically says, regardless of whether you're of high caste, a Brahmin, a merchant, a worker, or an outcast or a scavenger, if you're energetic and resolute, unendingly firm in one's effort, you'll attain supreme happiness. Know that for a fact, Brahmin. So when you apply energy in the correct way, and so we're talking about Samavayama or Samapadana, so it's always in connection with the Noble Eightfold Path and the factors of enlightenment. And so when you know that you're applying it in the correct way, you're heeding what the Buddha says, then you will realize path and fruit. I think that's something that when you, you apply a lot of energy in the correct way, then the, the path can be very fruitful. Not only that, it leads to Nibbana, the, the deathless, the full awakening. Now, one thing to say here is it's very important to know the distinction between right effort and wrong effort. So the Buddha talks about people who seemingly apply effort, but it's not following the Buddha's instructions. They go their own path. And so they may be not guarding against unwholesome, unskillful things. So they allow them to be there. They may simply observe or they may simply just think it's fine. And they may have wrong view that stems from that. Because as we know, wrong view leads to all the different parts of the wrong path. One of which is wrong effort, therefore wrong mindfulness, and then wrong concentration. So that's the danger that one can seemingly apply energy, make a lot of effort towards meditation. But if you're not applying the right medicine, if you're not uh, following the Buddha's words in terms of being energetic and right effort, right striving, then 
you're not going to realize path and fruit and therefore you're not actually going to realize full awakening. So that's very important to bear in mind. But when you do, when you do apply right effort, you follow the Buddha's instructions, you understand the medicine that needs to apply when defilements are there, you understand the meditations that are good to cultivate for wholesome states of mind, then you do get the good result and there's a distinction there. So there's another sutta called the Padana Sutta, which is in Anguttanikaya chapter 4, discourse number 13. It talks about striving. Buddha says, those who strive rightly overcome the realm of Mara. They are unattached, gone beyond fear of birth and death. They are contented and unstirred, having conquered Mara and his mount. Those happy ones have overcome all of Namuchi's armies. So again, you see that we are applying our armies against Namuchi's armies or Mara, Mara's armies. So when you do that, you realize that you've been firm and resolute the whole way. You've got the orders from the Buddha in terms of how you can overcome Mara's armies and you use your strength in order to do so. So Buddha's very clear about that. Another one is again in the Dasutra Sutta, which is in Diganikaya, discourse number 34, the last one. And here the Buddha says, when one is energetic, this too is a quality that serves as a protector. So you protect your mind, you protect the practice, you protect what is wholesome and good towards uh, that which leads towards Nibbana. So these are the kinds of things Buddha says, and it's very clear, it's very, very important. Now to back up what we've just spoken about, there are a number of suttas where the Buddha talks about the application of effort. So the first one we'll look at is the Sikha Sutta, Anguttanikaya chapter 9, discourse number 73. And the Buddha talks about weaknesses in training and effort. And he says, mendicants, there are these five weaknesses when you're training. What five? Killing living beings, taking what is not given, sexual misconduct, false speech, and using alcoholic drinks that cause negligence. These are the five weaknesses when you're training. So we're talking about the breaking the five precepts here. The Buddha goes on to say, to give up these five weaknesses in your training, you should develop the four right efforts. So we already know what those are. It's basically the abandoning of what is unwholesome, not allowing it to arise if it hasn't arisen, the unwholesome. And then when it comes to the wholesome, to actually develop more of the wholesome and to guard or protect what is wholesome. So here we see Buddha definitively saying this is how you train this is how you overcome not being able to keep the five precepts you need to apply the effort so you don't just allow yourself to to do the wrong things and uh, to break the sila he, he's very clear there another sutta we can look at is the chara sutta and you see this in both the anguttanikaya chapter 4 discourse number 11 as well as the itivutika 110 and so Kujutra Upasika also heard this from the Buddha and it's about abandoning unskillful thoughts. So the Buddha talks about whether you're walking, standing, sitting or lying down. The Buddha says if a sensual thought, a thought of ill will or a thought of harming arises, whether you're walking, standing, sitting or lying down, you don't tolerate it, you abandon it, you dispel it, you terminate it and you obliterate it. Then you're said to be ardent with fear of wrongdoing, constantly and continuously energetic and resolute while walking, standing, sitting and lying down, wakefully lying down. So here, what we really see is that the, the words that the Buddha uses is really quite firm. 
So first he says you don't tolerate it, you abandon it, you dispel it, you terminate it, and then you obliterate it. So there is no entertaining of these thoughts, whether they're sensual thoughts, ill will thoughts, or harming thoughts. And you really find that, say, in our meditation, this is something that's very clear. When you take the example of, let's say, the Dukkha Danda Binya, so the first profitable direction, the first doorway to Nibbana, when you get the mind very concentrated after contemplating your meditation object, so in that case it was something particularly unpleasant, so it was the regurgitated uh, undigested food or it was uh, seeing the skeleton or contemplating the blood, but whatever it was that one was contemplating, you get the mind very concentrated by seeing the truth you've corrected for right view, then the Buddha says you protect that, so you don't want uh, your right view to fall back into wrong view. And so you don't allow the entertaining of sensual thoughts in particular, but also ill will thoughts and thoughts of harming, cruelty thoughts. So this is part of being energetic. You, you really apply yourself. Now in daily life, it's more difficult because there's so many things happening. And particularly for lay people, it's very difficult to, to adhere to this. When you work with people, when you have householder responsibilities, when we have less, I guess, uh, sense restraint, then a lot of these thoughts do arise. But I think when you do the formal meditation, the blessings of that formal meditation, when you do it correctly following the Buddha's instructions, the blessings of it permeate into everyday life. And so it's somewhat unreasonable uh, for a layperson to expect that these unwholesome thoughts not to arise because a lot of what we deal with in our lifestyle it's actually leaning towards always drawing us into the unwholesome and that's the nature of householder life. That's not to say when you ordain and you're in the monastic environment that isn't the case as well, but it's less so because the container is somewhat protected. You live with everyone adhering to uh, precepts and training rules and, and vinaya. And when you're in householder life, you're out in the world and not everybody has the same level of sila. So it's very uh, difficult in many ways. And so I think it's part of the training. So as lay people, we know that our container is much more fraught with danger, but there is a training process. So always think of it in that way and always in your meditation, you really make that effort. And when you come out of it, you do your best in everyday, everyday life to protect and guard the mind. But know, knowing that it is somewhat more difficult we also find the same application of being energetic when it comes to abandoning the hindrances. So you find this in the Sila Sutta, on Nikaya chapter 4, discourse number 12, and also the Sampana Sila Sutta in the Itivutika 111. So here the Buddha says again, whether you're walking, standing, sitting, or wakefully lying down, you get rid of covetousness and ill will. So covetousness is similar to sensual desire. And you abandon dullness and drowsiness, restlessness and worry and doubt. And with energy aroused without slackening, with mindfulness established and unmuddled, when the body is tranquil and undisturbed, the mind is concentrated and one-pointed, then it's said that you are ardent with fear of wrongdoing and constantly and continuously energetic and resolute while walking, standing, sitting or wakefully lying down. So again, you see, it's a very active process. You don't allow it to fester 
you don't allow it to be there and you don't sink in in many ways into hindrances so again a very useful thing to see this is what the buddha emphasizes you can't just observe and think this will just go away or just observe this is the arising and passing away no because buddha knows that if you don't nip it in the bud if you don't uh, make effort to to remove it then you get into this really bad habit of of the five hindrances and this is something that we know leads to ignorance when you look at the vija sutta uh, the the five hindrances are very much the food the nourishment the condition for ignorance and so it's very dangerous one must actually uh make effort to abandon hindrances and also not cause them to arise we also have this account in the suttas about venerable mahamukulana's question about arada video to the buddha and according to these suttas so it's in the gatha sutta sanyutta nikaya chapter 21 discourse number 3 and also in the kitagiri sutta majjhimanikaya discourse number 70 And the question that Venerable Mahamukulana asked the Buddha is about Arada Vidyo. So he asked, "In what way, Venerable Sir, does one have energy aroused?" And the Blessed One then said to him, "Here, Mukulana, a bhikkhu with energy aroused dwells thus: willingly let only my skin, sinews, and bones remain, and let the flesh and blood dry up in my body. But I will not relax my energy so long as I have not attained what can be obtained by human strength, by human energy." by human exertion it is in such a way mogalana that one has aroused energy <clears throat> so what we find in the answer that the buddha gives is that one doesn't take the foot off the pedal so to speak until you have realized the goal and that is as much as the body is aging as much as the body uh is leaning towards the end of its life you still persist you still exert yourself use your strength in order to realize the final goal so that is very very clear that you never let up and you're quite firm in one's practice so and it's quite a vivid kind of answer that he gives venerable mamogalana one of the strong threads you get from the suttas and the the noble arahants is really that they never really take the foot off the pedal that they accomplish these things in their conduct but they don't really uh, shy away from continuing with with harnessing those things so in the case of arada video you can really see in the case of venerable mahakasapa that he continues as a forest dweller for some very interesting reasons even in old age so this is in the jina sutta sangyutta nikaya chapter 16 discourse number 5 now the buddha says You are old now Kasapa and those worn out hempen rag robes must be burdensome for you therefore you should wear robes offered by householders Kasapa except meals given on invitation and dwell close to me so it's a very kind and compassionate request that the buddha says to venerable mahakasapa but the answer is most interesting he actually says to the buddha for a long time venerable sir i have been a forest dweller and have spoken in praise of forest forest dwelling I have been an alms food eater and have spoken in praise of eating alms food. I have been a rag robe wearer and have spoken in praise of wearing rag robes. I have been a triple robe user and have spoken in praise of using the triple robe. I have been of few wishes and have spoken in praise of fewness of wishes. 
I have been content and have spoken in praise of contentment. I have been secluded and have spoken in praise of solitude. I have been aloof from society and have spoken in praise of aloofness from society. I have been energetic and have spoken in praise of arousing energy. And so he goes on to say that in this present life that he is living, he finds happiness in that. And so that's one of the reasons why that he continues. And the second is really that he, he wants to give that good example to those that are around him as well as those that are to come. And when you know that, you know that he hasn't shirked from his responsibilities, that it's not a hardship particularly for him. He actually finds that it's, it's good for him. But particularly inspiring is that he doesn't take the foot off the pedal, so to speak, when it comes to energetic quality. And you find that with other uh, people in the time of the Buddha as well, even with householders, you see them persist with energy, serving the Sangha, uh, learning the Dhamma, uh, hearing it with keen ears, arousing energy to practice, arousing energy to develop, heeding the Buddha's words and instructions. And so it's very inspiring that... If you think about how we can develop this, that in terms of our Seika training, then these are the role models we take. And as we know from the suttas and Buddha's words that like goes with like, we do find inspiration from people who apply energy. And it's not just that. When we live with someone, for example, who is applying energy, you feel that healthy sense of shame that you're not doing the same or similar. So we don't have to be exactly like the people we live with who are arousing energy to meditate and to practice. But it is of equal and maybe different application. But that's still very good. And so like goes with like and you develop and grow together. Likewise, when it comes to when you interact with people, when you're around people that actively apply energy, you notice when they don't fall into wrong speech. And it's not so easy. We know as lay householders, it's so easy to fall into wrong speech because our container is not like the monastic sangha. We're out in the world. People have different kinds of sila. But when you're with someone who is restraining and making effort to preserve their, their precepts and to not go into wrong speech, then you know this is a really good person to be around. Because we know like uh, wrong speech is rooted in greed, hatred and delusion. And so when you speak in that way, you're actually increasing delusion, increasing ignorance, particularly if you uh, allow hindrances to come. And so it can be quite inspiring when you're with someone who is consciously arousing energy not to go into frivolous speech, that you really go, well, I can be like that too. I should try and arouse energy in the same way because we know frivolous speech is rooted in delusion. If I keep speaking frivolous talk, then I'm increasing delusion. Likewise, with harsh speech and divisive speech, increasing hatred. And of course, lying, false speech leads to more greed. So in that way, you can also see there are many things that uh, one can do and with you when you're around the right company or you have the right role models it can be very helpful uh, and supportive of the path when we talk about role models venerable sona kolivisa is actually the one that the buddha nominates as his foremost in being energetic and so when we look at his example it's actually very helpful now there's a separate talk on this so i'm not going to repeat everything that's in that talk but it's actually very helpful because his background and his story is actually 
very useful in terms of what we can learn from it. But the sutta that's really interesting is the one that the Buddha gives. It's from Anuttara chapter 6, discourse number 55. And the Buddha gave this teaching because Venerable Sona, he was persisting and arousing energy in a very forceful way to the extent that he was bleeding on his walking path because his, his feet were getting cracked and, and sore. So Buddha gave him a teaching that was based on the simile of the lute. And he gave this teaching was, was because Venerable Sona, he previously was a musician and could, could play the lute very well. And so he's using the example of if the strings are too tight in the, lute, in the lute, it wouldn't play well and it would not be easy to play. Likewise, if it was too loose, again, the same thing. But if the strings were neither too tight nor too loose and they were adjusted to a balanced pitch, then of course it would be easy to play because it was well tuned. So that was likened to arousing energy that in terms of Ara the video, if it's too forceful, it leads to restlessness. If it's too lax, it leads to laziness or indolence. And so he was explaining to Sona that you need the right balance so that you get the evenness of the spiritual faculties and you take up the meditation object at that point. And so it's very useful for us in, in the sense that we each have a different kind of disposition. Some of us are more prone to laziness. Others are more prone to perfectionism. And so you need to adapt the practice according to what your nature is. And at the same time, to be very mindful that not to be too forceful. But if you if you inherently have more of a lazy, lax kind of nature, there is something to be said about lighting a fire under yourself to apply more energy. And when you're too much of a perfectionist, you need to balance that out because perfectionism doesn't always lead to good results. Likewise, being too lazy doesn't lead to good results for obvious reasons. So we can learn a lot from Venerable Sona's example and I would recommend listening to that talk in order to understand from this wonderful role model how we can actually balance our practice. Now there are other uh, suttas that we have looked at, in particular from the Dhammapada. We've looked at Mahakalatera and we also in that story looked at his brother and the contrast between the two. So there's a talk on that if you wanted to go and listen to that that also looks at applying energy and also around the circumstances of the differences in these two brothers. And so that's a very interesting story as well to look at. And it looks at other good qualities alongside um, not just Arada video. There's also another Dhammapada verse that we've already looked at. There's another talk for this. This is on Tisatera, the idle one. And it really talks about when you leave it too late, that you don't rouse energy when it's time to rouse energy. And really, when you consider this, when you're young, it's much easier. When you have strength, it's much easier. And when the mind is more malleable, you know, not prone to being tired and exhausted. So it's one of these things that's very important to bear in mind that sometimes a lot of us, particularly in lay householder life, we have this idea, we'll leave it for later. But we forget that when you're young, when the mind is more malleable and flexible, when the body is also has more strength, then it's easier to actually come towards the path, to develop the path and to develop it in many ways more swiftly. So this story about Venerable Tissa is actually quite useful. So up to this point in our talk, 
We've looked at essentially what is the basis for Arada video and the active nature of applying energy and some of the interconnections. Now I want to kick it up a little because when you start applying energy, you start to notice certain things. And of course, we'll make references to the suttas, but I want to actually bring it a little further along in terms of some of the things that we've already learned as part of this sutta meditation series. So the first thing I wanted to look at was the connection with the Noble Eightfold Path and just read out a little bit from this sutta from Majjhimilakai Discourse Number 117. So this is all about the Noble Eightfold Path. So what the Buddha says is, one makes an effort to abandon wrong view and to enter upon right view. This is one's right effort. Mindfully one abandons wrong view. Mindfully one enters upon and abides in right view. This is one's right mindfulness. Thus, these three states run and circle around right view. That is right view, right effort and right mindfulness. And then it goes on to talk about each of the uh, parts of the Noble Eightfold Path. And then when we get to right effort, it says... In one of right effort, wrong effort is abolished, and the many evil unwholesome states that originate with wrong effort as condition are also abolished, and the many wholesome states that originate with right effort as condition come to fulfillment by development. So this interconnectivity, this relationship between uh, right view, right effort, and right mindfulness is something that is very key to how we develop the Noble Eightfold Path. And this will become a lot clearer as you start to develop the Noble Eightfold Path. But you need right, right view to kick it all off. That's very, very clear. Otherwise, if with wrong view, it leads to the wrong path and the wrong kind of, of practice. Now, right mindfulness is there to almost like steady, steady the ship, to make sure that what you're applying effort to, it results in the right kind of establishments, particularly around overcoming perversions and maintaining the right view. And so they work connected with each other. So what the other part of it is really that we're overcoming wrong effort, wrong view, wrong mindfulness. And so there's something very key in that. And I think it's something for each of us to investigate that interconnectivity, how that actually works and how that becomes very supportive of the path. One of the key questions that does come up when it comes to energy is, how does this relate to the trainee's power of energy? And also, how does this relate to the spiritual faculty of energy? And so when you go to the various suttas, so one is the Vitata Sutta, Anguttara Nikaya, Chapter 5, Discourse Number 2, that's about Seika powers, trainee powers. And then when you go to the Pathama Vibhanga Sutta in Sangyutta Nikaya, chapter 48, discourse number 9, we talk about the spiritual faculties uh, that, that we start to develop. And essentially, it says the same thing when it comes to energy. So the power of energy and the faculty of energy have the same description, which is exactly the same as what's in the Seka Padipada Sutta and the Nagaropama Sutta. So it's a noble disciple dwells energetic in abandoning unskillful qualities and taking skillful qualities. One has strength, is firm in one's effort, does not put down one's responsibilities with regard to cultivating skillful qualities. So there you can see that you develop the power of energy for the Seka 
by developing what we've described in this talk so far. Same with the faculty of energy. When it comes to the spiritual faculty of energy, which is something that we take right to the end, you know exactly what the Buddha is saying. It's exactly the same. You need to persist. You need to uh, not shirk from the responsibility of abandoning unwholesome, not allowing it to arise, and to cultivate and develop the good and to protect what you've already cultivated. So these things all line up together. Another question that we often ask to tie up all the things associated with energy is about the bhujanga, so about the enlightenment factor of energy, virya bhujanga. So we know that energy is often linked with sloth and torpor. So it's often to overcome sloth and torpor or dullness and drowsiness, dhinamitta, we often need to apply energy. And if we go to the Ahara Sutta, we see how the two fit. So when it talks about uh, the nutriment for the arising of unarisen enlightenment factor of energy and for the fulfillment by development of the arisen enlightenment factor of energy, the Buddha talks about three or four things. So the Buddha says there are because the element of arousal, aramba dhatu, the element of endeavor, nikamadhatu, the element of exertion, parakamadhatu, frequently giving wise contemplation to them, yoniso manisikara, bahulikaro, these are the nutriments for the arising of the unarisen enlightenment factor of energy and for the fulfillment by development of the arisen enlightenment factor of energy. Now when you then read about the denourishment of uh, unarisen sloth and torpor, and arisen sloth and torpor, stopping it from increasing and expanding, then you get the same thing. You get these four elements, like when they're uh, taken together. So the three elements and frequently giving wise contemplation to them, that's what is the denourishment of the inamitta. So what's interesting is we did look at this when we looked at wakefulness. Yeah, when we looked at wakefulness, we did touch on this because the tie-in with right effort always comes to abandoning hindrances. So what we said there, and it still applies now, is that you keep attempting to arouse energy. You show that initiative. So this really comes up when it when we talk about the element of arousal, this arambadatu. You're really showing the initiative to keep attempting to arouse energy, to overcome uh, the hindrance. And then when it comes to endeavor, this nikamadatu, it's really that's where you apply your strength, your persistence, your endurance to, to overcome these unwholesome states. And then when it comes to the element of exertion, parakamadatu, it's really you exert effort and you show a lot of courage, I would say, that you show courage towards this endeavor, that you, you don't back down. And when you frequently contemplate these uh, three things as in combination, then that's when the bojanga arises, the virya bojanga. And I think when you start to practice in this way, you start to realize actually these are the things that the Buddha has given us as medicine, as tools. And you see how wakefulness ties in with that. That if you're wakeful, then you know you need to make effort towards these things. And wakefulness is in many ways a synonym for mindfulness. That wakefulness, mindfulness, they're similar. Though mindfulness takes it a bit further because you need to have the four establishments in place. But you could see wakefulness as part of that initiating part. And it complements very much how we apply energy and effort.
When we develop the Noble Eightfold Path, we also start developing the basis for spiritual power, which are the Itipathas. And to fully develop them, you need to follow the instructions given by the Buddha. But one of the key things about these four bases of spiritual power, so we know them as Chanda Samadhi, so concentration due to desire, Chitta Samadhi, concentration due to mind, uh, Virya Samadhi, which is concentration due to energy or effort, and Vimangsa Samadhi, which is concentration due to investigation. Now what we know from the Idipada Vibhanga, which is part of the Sanyutta Nikaya, that whole chapter, it talks a lot about Idipadas. And what you realize from reading the Buddha's teachings on this is that it takes a great deal of energy. Uh, there's reference to this thing called volitional formations of striving. So this is the Padana Sankara. And so when you learn how to develop the Itipathas, you, you actually learn that there's a lot that's needed, uh, fueled by energy in order to sustain and almost uh, activate these four bases of spiritual power. So that's something that we'll learn a little bit further along. But one of the things for people who are already developing the Itipathas, it's really to see how Arada Viryo and different aspects to energy and to striving really complement a lot of these factors that we use in order to fulfill the path, in order to reach the goal. And so there's a lot of interworking that we see, like we see it in the Seika powers, so the Seika Bala, we see it in the Indriyas, so the spiritual faculties, we see it in the Bojangas, which we've spoken about, we see it also in these Idipadas, and then of course the Four Noble Truths, Noble Eightfold Path. They all come together in a particular way that help you to lean towards Nibbana and help you to chip away at how you learn the Dhamma, practice the Dhamma, and realize the Dhamma. So there's something very key in it. Energy actually plays a huge part of the path. You see it in so many aspects of it. We've previously looked at the Tayo Dhamma Sutta, so Anguttara Nikaya chapter 10, discourse number 76. We had a whole session looking at why we're incapable of realizing Nibbana and all these different qualities that are grouped in threes that show us how we keep coming back to rebirth and old age and death because we're rooted in greed, hatred and delusion and so many different unwholesome states and qualities. Now in that sutta, the Buddha actually talks about being energetic and it's towards the end of the sutta. It basically says, and I'll just read the first portion of it, it says, Mendicant, someone who has moral shame and fear of wrongdoing is vigilant. When you're vigilant, you can give up disrespect, being difficult to instruct and having bad friends. When you've got good friends, you can give up lack of conviction, lack of generosity and indolence. When you're energetic, you can give up restlessness, lack of restraint and lack of virtue. And then so on and so on from there until you get, get, up, get to giving up rebirth, old age and death. Now, part of being energetic, if you look at it, there are certain things that are needed because really what you're giving up is when you're energetic, you're giving up indolence. You're giving up the kosaja, that which lends itself to being lazy. And as we know from some of the Dhammapada verses that we've looked at, looked at, and also in terms of some of the suttas, there are grounds for laziness that come to, come to effect. And so energy really tries to overcome that. And there are certain things that when you know that you have energy, then you also guard yourself from being 
lacking the security guard, the lack of sense restraint. You also guard from not keeping your precepts, and we've seen part of that in the earlier part of this talk. And also you don't go to restlessness. Restlessness is always looking for something else to do, looking for something to uh, overcome sadness and sorrow. And when you really have the right view, you, you start to really see that actually there's not much in the world that can fix if anything at all, there's nothing in the world that can really fix how we get to sadness when you understand jati, jara, biyadi, marang, when you understand our predicament. So energy, again, through the Thayodama Sutta, you see how it fits in. So if you remember this diagram from when we looked at the Thayodama Sutta, you can see on the right-hand side, so the last column represents delusion. And when you look at indolence, so we went from negligence to having bad friends to indolence, if you overcome indolence by applying energy, by having this Arada video, then you overcome the rest of it. So that means when you're vigilant, when you have good friends, when you give up the indolence and have uh, this energetic quality, then you have more restraint. You don't have the fault-finding mind. Your mind doesn't get disturbed. You don't get very slack in your mind. You don't develop this weak mind that goes towards sloth and torpor. You don't have the mental... Uh, sluggishness that leads to uh, having the wrong view about virtue and, and observances and therefore you have less delusion. So that's the pathway. You're really trying to overcome a lot of delusion. Now that doesn't mean it doesn't apply to the, the non-greed, non-hatred path. It also applies because it applies, it works interconnected, but clearly you need to overcome a lot of delusion so you don't keep activating greed and hatred. And so I think this is where Thayodhamma, our, our understanding of it really helps to see how it fits in, how we are working towards, with all these different Dhammas that we're learning, chipping away, eroding that sense of growing Tanha, the craving, growing the ignorance. Instead, what we're doing is we're starting to abandon it. We're starting to move away from that, moving towards true knowledge and liberation. We've been learning about the Four Nutriments as part of the Sutta Meditation series and I wanted to tie in how applying Aradaviryo, this energetic quality, to these teachings is very important as well. So one of the things is that when it comes to these Four Nutriments, this is what we crave, this is what leads us to taking delight, clinging, uh, wanting to come to exist and coming to birth again and therefore the old age and, and death and the whole mass of suffering again. And so when you know that, you know that going the wrong way, whether it's through desire, hate, fear or delusion is, is really a bad deal. This is something that we don't want to do and that's why we learn about the four nutriments, that there is a danger in it. So when you start to look at this and you start to look at this quality of Arata video, you realize that Say, for example, if we look at Kaplinkara Ahara, if you correct the view, then you understand that you don't want to keep coming back for the physical nutriment, that things like food, sex, uh, loved ones, all these things that we misapprehend, that we don't understand, it leads to more old age sickness and death and the whole mass of suffering over and over again. And so we end up going the wrong way because we desire it when we have the wrong view. So when you understand that, you realize that sense restraint is really important, that when we looked at Dukkha Patipada, Danda Binya, uh, painful practice with slow realization, that's the medicine to this first unprofitable direction. 
Sense restraint plays a very important part. When our senses are not restrained, they start burning. That's what the Buddha normally says. Instead, we want them to be peaceful, like what we do with metta bhavana, that they become santindriyo, peaceful faculties. So the application of arada video is really not to have sense contact. We don't want to burn. So that's an application through wisdom. We know through understanding four nutriments, we understand coupling karahara, the physical nutriment. We see the danger. Therefore, we decide, no, we're going to apply energy. We're not going to go out with our sense faculties. We're going to be like the simile of the tortoise, retract our head, retract our limbs. We're going to put a security guard in place. So that is an active process because each and every time we're doing things, we need to be very cautious. And so the security guard being becomes something that actively patrols. So that's one example. The other thing that we learned from the four nutriments is that vijnana, consciousness, likes to establish itself. So when it misapprehends form, feeling, perception, and volitional formations, it likes to go and establish in those places. So when it sees beauty, it wants to go and establish in form. When it sees sukha feelings, like it goes towards the pleasurable feelings, it wants to go and establish in feelings. When it sees uh, perceptions as me and mine, it wants to go and establish and steady on perceptions. When it takes volitional formations as lasting, that they don't shatter, it wants to go and establish and steady itself in volitional formations. And so what you see there is when ara the video is something that you apply, you actually prevent vijnana from going to establish informed feeling, perception of volitional formations. It's an active practice. And so that's something where you go, I, I, I'm not going to do that. Because you see the danger. You go the wrong way through desire if it establishes on form. You go the wrong way through hate if you establish on feeling. You go the wrong way through fear if you establish on perception, seek perceptions perceptions that are imbued with what you misapprehend. And the same with volitional formations. You go the wrong way with delusion because you don't see them shattering. You think they last. And and therefore you keep meeting sorrow and, and uh, lamentation, all those unwholesome states, basically. So when you don't allow consciousness to establish in those, those places, that's where you don't shake. That's where the practice really starts to take effect. So this is something that maybe you may not understand. Some, some may, some may not. But this is part of the practice that starts to develop. And you really understand the importance of Arada video, this energetic quality. Now, another type of vidya is when you look at Kaplinkara Hara, that it leads to misapprehending that there is me and mine and that you think it's lasting. So when you look at this misapprehension, if you prevent yourself from taking the physical nutriment as me and mine, and you actually understand that it doesn't last, that we're subject to old age, sickness and death, we're subject to change, you know that mindfulness is there because you've established the mindfulness of the body, then you know that you need vigilance when it comes to that. So really the ara, the video, the application is to say, you keep reminding yourself no, this body is subject to old age, sickness and death. It's subject to change. It's not worth taking it as me and mine. Therefore, I'm not going to fall for this physical nutriment, whether it's myself 
whether it's loved ones, whether it's other things. And so that's how you apply the Arada video as well. And then another way of looking at it is in terms of simply Dukkha, that you keep reminding yourself about the first noble truth, that you see how it comes to arise when we have the wrong view. And so a lot of, a lot of what we talk about when it comes to Arada video is really applying the Buddha's words, really applying medicine where, where it's necessary when it comes to hindrances and defilements, knowing how to contemplate that correctly, applying Yonisomanasikara. But also Arada video is knowing when to cultivate good, what is skillful and wholesome. And so these meditations are very useful for us because they either show us how things come to arise and how they come to pass away. They show us the danger of things, the gratification of things. They also show us the escape. So this is how another way of looking at how we apply the energetic quality. We have covered a lot in terms of this session, in terms of defining what Arata video is, looking at what the Buddha said about its importance, what are the key things around applying Arata video in our practice, looking at some role models, and essentially just nutting out how the whole practice comes together, the path and practice comes together when we cultivate it in the correct way according to the Buddha's instructions. So I wanted to close with this final sutta, which is the Sajitta Sutta. And of course, always remember that on the Seika path, we're all going in our own set of circumstances. So remember, we're talking about the accomplishment of an adept when we talk about these things. And we are always trying to do our best to move in that direction. So depending on our time, our set of circumstances, our challenges that we have, whether it's financial or in terms of responsibilities, we need to bear that in mind in what we do. But it's good to know that the meditations that we do are very much leaning towards applying the right kind of effort. So in formal meditation, this is what we're actually building up and developing. When it comes to everyday life, we always try and balance it out. So sometimes we may be a little bit discouraged when it comes to, oh, I don't feel like I, I have enough time or I don't feel like I'm applying enough energy. I think we also need to balance that out with our own circumstances and we need to gauge and also seek guidance from spiritual friends when we have uncertainty or whether you know, we're hanging out with the right people as well. So I think there's a lot around that that needs to be taken on board, not, not one size fits all. And where you have less responsibilities, you'll find that you have the time and the, the ability to apply more effort than someone with a lot of responsibilities and a lot of different challenges. So always bear that in mind and, and don't be discouraged in terms of what you can and can't do. Just make sure you're heading in the right direction with the right view, on the right path, cultivating the right things, following the Buddha's words. And in that way, you're safeguarded and slowly but surely you'll get there. So this final sutta is the Sachitta Sutta. And what the Buddha talks about is about self-examination. And, and the reason I like it is because of the uh, simile or the analogy that the Buddha gives. So the Buddha says, when you contemplate or you know, I'm often given to covetousness, given to ill will, overcome by dullness and drowsiness, restless, plagued by doubt, angry, defiled in mind, agitated in body, lazy and unconcentrated. He should put forth extraordinary desire, effort, zeal, enthusiasm, perseverance, mindfulness, and clear comprehension to abandon these same bad, unwholesome qualities. 
just as one whose clothes or head had caught fire would put forth extraordinary desire, effort, zeal, enthusiasm, perseverance, mindfulness and clear comprehension to extinguish the fire on his clothes or head. So too that bhikkhu should put forth extraordinary desire, effort, zeal, enthusiasm, perseverance, mindfulness and clear comprehension to abandon those same bad unwholesome qualities. So that's what it's like. It's like as if you had caught fire, you really want to put it out. So when the hindrances come, when the defilements come, when even the wrong kinds of things are coming your way and they're, they're there to tempt you, to pull you out of the, the Noble Eightfold Path, you need to apply all those things. So you see the interworking, that the perseverance, the effort that you make, it's also with the, the mindfulness and the clear comprehension, you know, certain enthusiasm and zeal towards, you know, abandoning that which is unwholesome. So I find that quite helpful, that it's as if there's a fire on your head or, or on your clothes. So think of it that way as, as some kind of inspiration from the Buddha. We can end the session here. Let's share the merit with all sentient beings. May all beings be happy and well. May all beings be free from suffering. May the doors of Nibbana stay open to everyone. Blessings of the Triple Gem. Wishing you well. Teruan Saranai.